There are all kinds of little historical and theological things that I would like to, to share with you. First of all, this feast, which we used to just call Corpus Christi, is now the solemnity of the body and blood of Jesus, was established or began to be established in the 13th century, in the 1200s, according to various visionaries and other theologies that had to do with the real presence. And that feast of having a day to concentrate on the Blessed Sacrament spread, and soon in the whole church as it is today, it was celebrated. Of course, we did the same thing to Corpus Christi as we did to the Ascension, you weren't here last Thursday, so we moved it to Sunday. No, it's what we did. It's the Thursday after Trinity Sunday or 10 days after Pentecost. Part of that feast had to do with processions, that they would take the Blessed Sacrament in a monstrance and with a canopy and walk through the town or walk around a town. Now, if we do it, we're supposed to go from one church to another. There's a, a history there, too. It comes from the ember days or the rogation days. And we just sort of passed one because they're connected to the solstices and the equinoxes of our solar calendar. Believe it or not, summer started two days ago. Here we know it started about two months ago, but that's, a, that's okay. It was connected with all the, the fasting and preparation at each of those four seasons for fertility, for crops, for herds. And one of the things they used to do is to go around the parish or go out into the countryside and bless the fields and bless the flocks. And so part of this idea of a procession is to go around and to sanctify the local parish, the, the local body of Christ. And we need to maybe think about that. So my first thought, besides how precious is the Eucharist to you and to me, is how precious is this parish with all its faults and failures, perhaps, but with all its beauty and all the good people who are here. Everybody here is good. We stopped anybody coming in who wasn't good. No, I'm joking. We are the body of Christ. And I'm going to close with that. We need to give thanks for those who believe as best they can, who believe as we believe, that we have the Eucharist, that we have the Lord Jesus himself in sacramental form. So that's part of the feast of Corpus Christi to remind us that he is with us and he blesses us and makes us his own. Now, the first reading, great first reading. I think all of you have heard of Melchizedek. He was a pagan king. He belonged to one of the other tribes around. But 
we don't know which one. He was sort of like from somewhere, but it doesn't matter where he was from. He was completely unique, completely sui generis. And his name is very important. It's two Hebrew words for king of righteousness or justice. Melech, his king. Sadek, his righteousness or justice. So he represents a very important concept that you and I, we need to recommit ourselves to righteousness and justice. And what was most unique is what did he offer? Not goats and lambs or whatever, but bread and wine. And we've always seen this offering made in the presence of Abraham as a premonition of what Jesus would offer for us. Jesus, likewise, we hear it in the second reading, the oldest description, narrative of the Last Supper, that he didn't take lamb chops. He took bread and made it his body. He switched it. And Melchizedek is a reminder of when that was first kind of understood with the covenant with Abraham and the promise of the chosen people of God. Melchizedek has been in our first Eucharistic prayer, the Roman canon, since at least the 300s, the 4th century. That Melchizedek along with Adam have been in that Eucharistic prayer. So we have been reflecting on this idea of what Melchizedek offered for a long time. Now the second reading is the oldest, as I mentioned, description of the Last Supper. We're very familiar with it. But let me just point out one or two things. First of all, it's St. Paul who reminds us of that we should do this in memory of me. It's very important that we keep that in mind for both the offering of the bread and the offering of the wine. That we do this, and when we do this in his anamnesis, in his memory, it becomes real. That's the core of our theology that the, when we use the Lord Jesus' words, this is my body, this is my blood, they become what he says they are. Chemically, there's still bread and wine. Some folks have celiac disease, and so we offer them low-gluten hosts. Uh, some of you who are extraordinary ministers, if perchance we have a bunch of precious blood left over and you turn red when you drink wine, you will turn red because chemically it is still wine. But sacramentally and therefore really, metaphysically, it is the body and blood of Jesus. And only faith can teach us that. It is a gift. But St. Paul reminds us what the Lord Jesus did the night he was handed over. Now, 
we get to the great gospel. Here we have the loaves and the fishes. It's the only parable, the only miracle that's in all four gospels. I have said that before. And in fact, in Matthew and Mark, yes, Matthew and Mark, there's two variations of it. We read the single variation from Luke. And the two variations are just very curious. In the other variation, there were only 4,000 people. This one had five. And in the other variation, when they picked up the leftovers, there were only seven baskets. In this one, there are 12. Big deal. We know those numbers are very important. And they mainly say that the Lord feeds us abundantly and there is much left over. But I want to close with that very haunting line. Give them something to eat yourselves. We need to be Eucharists for others. We need to feed them by our actions, by our words, by our faith. If they need food, then we need to feed them too. But we need to be Christ for others. So how are we feeding those that the Lord has given to us, our families, children, grandchildren, our neighbors, the people we work with? What kind of food are we giving them? Are we giving them food which leads to joy and hope? Or are we cynical and despairing? Do we talk like the world talks or do we have a different language? Do we lift up people or do we enjoy tearing them down? Do we invest, I like that verb, invest in the goodness of others, especially young people? There are a lot of young people who feel lost, that not even God loves them. And we have to say, no, you maybe can't see it or hear it, but the Lord is nearer to you than you know. Let me feed you a little bit of his goodness. So how are we going to feed those given to us? That's my question for today.